Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, episode number 173 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is June 13th, 2011. We apologize for skipping our first show in over three years on the podcast, but I was out of the country uh, getting married, so we just took one week off. Uh, We've got a great show though for you coming back on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Harvey Hyde and Dan Weber coming up. If you have any questions or comments, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com or call us 206-888-6755 is the number and uh, as we mentioned coach harvey hyde back in the first segment we love talking to the coach what's going on sir how are you enjoy your time off there well i did enjoy it but i was enjoyed it for you congratulations buddy thanks you so much you are a married man now you'll find out what discipline really is <laughs> Thanks, Coach. Yeah, it was a lot of fun down there in Cabo, and uh, even got an email from from one of the listeners who was going down to Cabo as well, so it's pretty cool. I didn't, we didn't run into each other, but it's a big place down there. But thanks for the congratulations, Coach. It was a lot of fun, and I'm married now, honest man now. Man, oh man, i tell you what, that is outstanding. And, uh, buddy, uh, many, many years of happiness and so on, and it was a big step. It's always a big step, and now uh, we can get back and have some fun talking football, because I guess... Trojan football is what some eighty days away before kickoff. Can't wait, Coach. I know, and we got fall camp coming up a little before that. This is going to be a lot of fun, and uh, leading up to that, and before we get into all of that, we got some questions for everybody, and wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or call them one eight hundred eight 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 seven two eight seven. If you need tickets for anything, go out to a Dodgers game. I think there's a lot of tickets available for that. Angels games, all kinds of stuff. Whatever's going on. No more NBA, but lots of baseball and stuff going on during the off season, and obviously leading up to the college football season. If you need SC tickets down the road, you can give them a call as well. Coach, you never need tickets, I know, but you're like you said, not that long, less than three months, we'll be out there playing US, some USC football. Yeah, you're exactly right, and fall camp will be opening up. And You know, one thing I just want to comment on too, Brian, uh, I've been uh, looking at all the videos of the summer workouts and so on, and I'm impressed with the number of kids that are out there. This is all voluntary. The number of kids that are out there and uh, how they're working, and and I think they're farther ahead uh, from what I've been able to see. Now, I don't see every day and so on, and I'm not there, but I think they're farther ahead as far as leadership. Uh, The enthusiasm seems to be really good. They're doing 11-on-11, which is something that you – I've never seen happen before, but you're always worried about somebody getting hurt. But they really uh, are out there doing great things. And I want to congratulate the players for doing that and the leadership. And I think that will really pay off in the long run. They sort of bond together. You know, a lot of times when there's negative things happening within a program, it really brings your players closer together and coaching staff closer together to sort of overcome obstacles that have been put out there. And uh, watching uh, the 11-on-11 and 7-on in the videos that you have, 
on uscfootball.com. It's absolutely fantastic. I really see a lot of enthusiasm in the kids working hard. It is, Coach, and I've only been out for one of them because I missed the first couple when I was out of the country, but we put up videos from those workouts anyway, and it's a little different right now. I mean, I think a lot of people expected that players might be down a little bit knowing that they weren't going to be able to go to a bowl game this year, but at least right now in the summer, they do seem motivated, and they're doing it a couple days a week. They're having workouts and stuff like in the morning, but then sometimes in the afternoon, They'll go out there. It's basically Matt Barkley deciding when they can go out, trying to find a time when most players don't have summer school classes. And they're doing a little different by having a couple strength coaches come out early and kind of warm the guys up, like the beginning of a practice, but a a truncated version of that. So a couple strength coaches will come out. The guys all line up and warm up like it's the beginning of a a normal practice. And then the strength coaches leave because coaches can't be out there when they throw the football around at all until fall camp starts. So coaches will come out, warm them up. They get off the field, you know, done it in five, 10 minutes or so. And then the players get out there and defense working together, offensive working together, getting, you know, getting sharp. And then they'll go right into seven on seven linemen do drills together. And then they'll do 11 on 11 all as a team. And you're right, coach. I haven't seen it like that where this many guys and this much of a team is coming together this early during the summer workout sessions but it's a great you know it's a great opportunity for these players to get out there and stay sharp get to know each other new players are coming in there's there were six incoming freshmen from the class of 2011 working out with them and we expect more and more of them to show up uh, each week so it'll be interesting to see leading up to fall camp it's a really good opportunity for these players especially the freshmen to get some experience heading into fall camp i agree 100 percent, and i'd also like to say and i know this is way ahead but let's just sort of bring everybody up to date that doesn't follow everything. I'm really impressed so far with the recruiting verbal commits. Now, these are only verbal commits. They're not definites as far as so far. But you've got, what, eight or nine verbal commits, and seven of those verbal commits are all four stars, and then you've got those two fullbacks, which really it's difficult to get stars for. Uh, Pinnell and York, but uh, they're great players. I've watched them on film. I've talked to their coaches, and uh, I tell you, I'm real impressed. Nine commits already, verbal commits. And it's interesting because USC could only bring in 15 guys. Maybe they'll bring in 17 if they uh, get some early enrollees and stuff like that, but there's not going to be that many spots, and the fact that it hasn't seemed to affect recruits in recruits' minds that uh, USC has fewer scholarships. I mean, it seems like it might even be a bonus coach where players know, hey, if they can only bring in 15, I'm probably going to get a chance to play. And I agree with you 100%, and they look forward to coming in and maybe getting an extra year as far as a redshirt year, so you make sure you get your degree or go ahead and get work on your master's or MBA or something. Hey, I'll tell you, USC will come through this. They've only got one more year now as far as not being able to play, of course, in the championship game and the, a bowl game, no matter what bowl game that is. And after that, it's full speed ahead. And I'll tell you, I think it's been uh, an, a, mark, a remarkable thing the way the Trojan Athletic Department has hung together, especially the football program itself, with all the off-field incidents. Even this past weekend, what happened down in Tennessee or wherever the heck they had that Indianapolis, that interview, it just draws negative attention yet. It doesn't damage the philosophy. It doesn't hurt the players that are at SC. The recruiting has been positive. And don't think coaches out there don't use this as far as in their recruiting techniques against USC. So uh, I think it's really uh, coming together now. And I think it's going to be a great uh, football year. 
as far as the enthusiasm. And I'm really looking forward to seeing and critiquing what we see on Saturdays. Yeah, as opposed to talking about all this off-season stuff. That's uh, right. Well, one of, one of the off-season things that happened while I was, was gone, and maybe get your comments on this, we don't want to dwell on it too much, but the BCS stripping the, 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 the title away from USC, so giving back that crystal trophy. USC still has their two AP national championships. Those aren't changing, but the, the technicality of giving the BCS championship back happened while I was gone. Well, I'll tell you, that's a very unfortunate thing. I, I don't know wh- what the, what they get out of it. I, I really don't know by doing that because you can't take away the rings. You can't take away the memories. And what more is there than that? The rest of it's just on a piece of paper. If you ask Oklahoma what the score was of that game, it was 55 to 19, okay? They all knew who won, the, won that game. And if you, if you hear people reporting on Bobby Stoops, Bobby Stoops is saying, I'm not claiming that national championship. We didn't win that football game. So, you know, if you're a player, uh, you've got that ring, you're going to wear that ring. You're going to wear that ring with pride. If I was a coach, I'd wear that ring with a lot of pride. But you did win the national championship on the field. And as far as uh, the other parts of it, I I don't see why throwing that in really makes any difference as far as punishing the entire team for something like that. But you got to, sometimes you can't figure out why they do what or whatever they're doing out there. And does that mean Auburn's going to forfeit their national championship now? It, or Ohio State's going to forfeit their national championship now? I mean, who knows? But if you start that type of action, then you better follow through with that type of action and continue with your uh, what philosophy, supposedly, what the NCAA is doing to schools that have won national championships and then come up with some type of uh, problems. So uh, you're opening a big door here. And it's not just in football. It could be in basketball and other sports. So, uh, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, heck, it was the best. It was a great team. It was the great best team in college football. I had a problem with that at uh, UNLV one year. Uh, we went 11-2. and two. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't even want to talk about it. So <laughs> they uh, said we had to forfeit a couple of games, but in the NCAA record, it's still listed as 11 and two. We won our bowl game. Hey, when I talk with these t- kids, and they even honored our team two years ago at homecoming, and uh, as the greatest team ever in UNLV football history, that was the Randall Cunningham team. Yeah. I mean, the, the kids, the kids. Don't even think about what other people think. They think about what we did. And I think that's exactly how the USC uh, players will feel. They'll, they'll always gather together. And they'll be a unique group now. Everyone will remember this team. It'll stick out as the team that got something taken away from them that they shouldn't have. And you'll always remember the 2014. Yeah, no one's going to forget that Orange Bowl score. You can't. 55-19. to 19. There was no doubt. No. What happened no, on the field? A, it was a whipping, buddy. It yeah. was an old whipping. Yeah. In fact, you remember the comments that we heard later on in that game when the team came back and you talked to the players and so on? The defensive linemen of the University of Oklahoma were telling the offensive linemen during the play, just run the ball and run the clock out. Don't pass the football. Yeah. That's exactly what they were telling the FC linemen. It's crazy. It's crazy. But we'll see. So we're going to move on from all that, and hopefully we can just talk about more football stuff. Uh, Al Capone 
one of the users on uscfootball.com, and a friend of mine actually was asking a question. He said he was talking to a friend that claims to be close to the program, and he thinks the SC passing game is staying short and compressed because Barkley struggles to throw the ball deep with accuracy. What do you think about uh, Matt Barkley's throwing the ball deep and how he does that? Well, I think you have to throw the ball deep. If you're going to really utilize your receivers, and they've got great receivers, some great receivers coming in and so on, they've got great skilled athletes, you've got to spread the field, and you've got to be able to throw deep routes. Uh, I, I don't I don't believe, I mean, I've seen him make some bad throws down the field, okay, but unless you work on throwing the ball down the field and you work on those routes, you're not going to get better at those routes. So I really, and not only that, the defensive secondary and defenses don't fear those routes. You've got to be able to keep the defense off balance, and you've got to throw those routes. Now, if he can't throw those routes, then you better get somebody in there that can't throw those routes. But you can't function an offensive football team and limit it to its abilities. So, you know, I don't believe that's the truth. He has floated a lot of deep passes. But the deep routes that they have thrown, most of the deep routes that they have thrown have been, has been the fade route, where they go straight down the sideline. And, you know, the ball's got to be perfect. And the you know, sideline is like defensive players. And if you get split out too wide, you, you limit yourself as far as catching the pass and so on. You've got to be able to get out there and do comebacks off of that and fake that and then run a post route and do different things where you have an opportunity to have an open receiver. If you remember last year, what was who was that against? It was against Notre Dame. They threw a deep uh, post route, and I forget what receiver it was. Was it Johnson? That Ronald Johnson, pass yeah. For a touchdown? Yeah, see, so if they don't see those routes, they're not going to work against defending those routes. And on that route, he was wide open. That won the football game for USC. But you've got to run those routes not once. You've got to run those routes over and over and over, and that's the only way you get better at anything, blocking, tackling, no matter what. So uh, I agree that they do emphasize the short passing game, and they do have to put more focus on deep routes so that secondaries do fear what they're going to see. Um, all right, well, we had a couple of questions on scholarship and uh, on scholarships and how that works. Obviously, USC has fewer scholarships to give out now. Lawrence and David both wrote in uh, kind of similar questions, but they wanted to know about uh, could players become, you know, current scholarship players become walk-ons and save some scholarships, or can players get uh, financial aid so they can stay in school and then also play football? Maybe kind of explain what how you understand the rules are for that, when, and when you, at least the rules when you were coaching. All right, the way I understand that rule, and I think it all goes back to the Nebraska situation years ago when Tom Osborne was the head football coach. If you remember, they used to have two or 300 people out for football every year, kids. Every city would have a representative on the football team every year. And a lot of scholarships were given to walk-on athletes. as the Rotary Scholarship, and the kid could go to uh, Nebraska, and it was supplied by the city itself or the Rotary uh, of Lincoln or whatever city that Omaha, I don't, I don't know. There are many little cities and their best top athlete every year would go to Nebraska as a walk-on. And you mentioned it earlier when we were talking about it, you said, I don't think they ever had a fullback that was on scholarship. As far as athletic scholarship, they're only on some type of partial scholarship or full 
uh, scholarship that was given by a, a city or a rotary club or financial aid and so on. So when I was coaching, they, they said any form of scholarship counts towards your numbers. Now, we had more numbers then. I think we had 105 numbers at that time. Now it's down to 85. At one time on Division One football, it was unlimited. I remember one year, Johnny Majors at Pittsburgh brought in 130 freshmen. Can you believe that? 130 freshmen. That wow. Was Tony, Tony Dorsett last. Do you remember that, Ryan? I don't remember 130 freshmen, but that's crazy, though. Wow. That's crazy. So they have, and what that did is all the big guys, SC and all the other schools, Alabama and so on, brought all the talent in so they couldn't play against them. So they'd bring as many of the top players that would come to their school, and there was an unlimited amount of scholarships that Division I college football had. So the smaller schools put in these rules saying you can't do that, you're taking away the talent from the rest of the schools, it's not fair, and then it went back. I think 125, and then 100, and or 105. Now it's down to 85, and a lot of that would had to do with Title IX too, because if you were giving 100 scholarships in football, you've got to be able to split up 100 scholarships towards the the women athletic programs along with the men. So it, it was impossible to do. You just financially couldn't do it. So now I believe, and, and I know when I coached that if a kid was on any type of scholarship. It counted towards our numbers. So to have a kid come out and say, oh, you want an academic scholarship? That academic scholarship counted towards our number because uh, it was a scholarship athlete on the field, and it counted towards our 85 or our 105 that we had at that time. Now, is that the current rule? I don't know. I don't want to say that is the current rule, but I do believe that there are limitations, and the way they limit it now, they say you can only have a certain amount of players on your roster. Like when you go to camp now, fall camp, I believe the number is 105 players. You can't bring more than 105 players to camp, which would mean you can bring your 85 scholarship athletes, and then you bring the other additional walk-on athletes to camp. Before, it was unlimited. You could bring 150 to camp or 200 to camp, but now you can't do that any longer. And one of those reasons was it's for cost reasons as far as the amount of money you have to house these kids and feed these kids during this period of time, and it got to cost too much money. But that's the way I read the rule. Well, I can't say that's what it is now, but when I coach, that's the way it was interpreted, and I believe it's the same thing now. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's safeguards in place, so you can't, a lot of the suggestions people are making, like, oh, uh, give them this, or give them, I mean, financial aid here, I mean, you can't, there's there's methods in place by the NCAA that doesn't let you do that and get around having a player get school paid for, but not be on an acad- I mean, uh, an athletic scholarship, and it, it's one of the disadvantages, you know, being at a private school like USC, where tuition is forty or $50,000 a year, it's a little harder to walk on there than even if you did want to walk on legitimately at Nebraska, it's good. it's a lot cheaper as far as tuition goes. You're exactly right. And if you're in-state, then your in-state tuition is even less. And if you have an out-of-state athlete walk on, your tuition is more, but you have to pay out-of-state tuition. So it's a very difficult thing. And uh, uh, at USC, no matter whether you're in-state or out-of-state, 
doesn't make any difference. You're going to pay the same amount of tuition because it is a private institution, and you got to pay the 50 or 60 grand or whatever it is to go to USC. And it's very difficult for young people to walk on and be able to afford that. Uh, all right, we got a, a great question here from Robert. Um, it's a long one. I'm going to read the whole thing because it's well written, and uh, just bear with me. I'm a little under the weather, coach. Just coming back from Cabo. <laughs> Kind of beat me up. I have eight days down there, but so excuse me if I uh, struggle through any of this. But Robert says, as an elected official with 30 years of experience, I have learned the, that unintended consequences can occur. Have you thought about the possible effect of unintended consequences on the NCAA? The NCAA has punished USC and expects the program to struggle over the next three years. Loss of players, transfers, loss of bowl games, a football scholarship should cripple USC football. That is the consequence the NCAA expects. Imagine what would happen if USC is successful. Can you imagine that SC has a nice winning record? We make it to a nice bowl game. And if we get to a BCS bowl game along the way, we would be wildly successful. I know college and university presidents all over the country will be watching. Many of them will wonder why their schools are providing more football scholarships than USC and USC is doing so well. I believe there will be enormous pressure on the NC2A and the athletic departments to rethink the number of scholarships that are given. Maybe 75 players is enough. I would hate to see it happen because I want as many young athletes as possible to have the chance for football and sports scholarships. I hope we are successful and the NCAA wheel, wheels feel that pressure. I have been elected and reelected several times, and I'm pretty good at reading the future. I don't know if you want to comment on this or not. Just my thoughts, Robert. What do you think, Coach? I thought it was a pretty intelligent argument there. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, first of all, I think uh, possibly some of the uh, thoughts in the appeal had to do with that. USC, of course, uh, I don't think the NCAA, when you when you look at uh, what happened to SC the first year, yes, they lost some players that had left and went to other schools, didn't really injure USC. What it did is give them additional scholarships to give. You, They had, a, a I thought, a uh, a very good year last year. Potentially, it could have been an unbelievable year. It could have been a 11 and two or, or 10 and three football season. Their first year of being on sanctions and not being able to go to a bowl game that didn't really look that good. Uh, when you look at their their team this year, I don't believe there's been one player that could have left that did leave. Bryce Butler's back. Uh, on the field he considered possibly transferring but he's back so that part of the punishment or whatever you want to call it the NCAA gave USC hasn't taken the effect they anticipated when you look at the recruiting class of last year 31 athletes or 30 athletes the fourth top recruiting class in the country when you're recruiting uh, against schools and everyone's saying oh look what happened to USC they can't go to a bowl game or they can't do this or they can't do that, yet you get the, the fourth-rated class in the country, that can't make the NCAA real happy. And if you look at the verbal commits for this coming year, I would say currently they're in the top three or four in the country right now, maybe higher as far as early verbal commits, as far as the recruiting for next year. And when you look at the overall program of any university, there are not 75 or 85 players playing in a game. 
So SC is going to have to get through this, and they will get through this with quality football players that understand the situation and understand there's a possibility that they're going to be redshirted to get through these three years, but that is going to make them a more mature athlete. They will be able to be growth. They will grow into what we forecast as a NFL potential player. They will be able to reap the benefits of the academics at USC and maybe graduate graduate and work on their uh, master's MBA degrees, and they will sell this to these student-athletes because of the strength of USC, and that is where the jealousy comes, not only from the NCAA, but from other universities. Other universities, this type of sanctioning would close them down. And one way I explain this is how many people really felt bad in the Pac-10 that USC went on probation? How many of the people really did say, oh, poor SC? They looked at this as an opportunity to catch up and try to move ahead of USC. Remember, these schools have been trying to catch USC during the past five years, six years. They've developed new facilities. They've done everything they can. They've hired new coaches. They've done. They've said either SC is going to dominate or we've got to have a philosophy that we've got to catch up and find a way to compete. And that's what they've done. And now with these extra athletes that are out there that SC won't have, other schools within the Pac-10 are hoping they will get those players so that they can compete against USC. So it's going to hurt USC but they will have the stamina and the tradition and and whatever the will to get through this sanction. It's going to be a very difficult thing, but they'll find a way, and uh, it'll go quickly. And uh, I tell you what, they've set a standard on what they did to USC. I don't know what they're going to do with Auburn. I have no idea what they're going to do at Ohio State or these other schools, Oregon possibly. Uh, West Virginia now, I don't know, they're in a mess down there, too, with their coach and so on. I have no idea what they're going to do with them because SC winning the national championship with the Reggie Bush situation had nothing to do with Reggie Bush coming to USC. It had to do with a parent and a marketing company and so on doing things out there that maybe Reggie knew about. I don't know but it didn't have anything to do with the university itself. They've never been able to prove that. At Ohio State and these other universities, they know that. They found them lying and covering up things. This is a whole much more severe thing than what USC went through. So I'm really wondering what's going to happen here with the NCAA. I really don't have any idea. Yeah, I don't think any of us do. People would ask me questions about stuff. I'm like, I can never predict what the NC2A is going to do because you just never know. I mean, it's, it's, it's baffling. But I know USC fans are going to be really upset with all the, the smoke that's going around the Ohio State program. Something major doesn't happen or all the things that have been going on with North Carolina where you have coaches that were intimately involved in what was going on as opposed to vaguely should have known or you know the, the weak evidence like there was with Todd McNair linking USC to the uh, the alleged crimes. If something major doesn't happen to these other programs, and, and and even though the NCAA said it's apples and oranges and you can't look at precedents and all that, 
if something doesn't happen, I don't know, man. USC fans are going to just go crazy. They are, and uh, and uh, and we'll have to see what happens with that. Yet, I, I really think that uh, the committee that was the uh, committee that, that the committee did the, the investigation, the committee on infractions, or yeah, infractions. I just don't feel that committee came in with an open mind. I think that committee came in already predetermined that they wanted to bury. USC. And uh, I know two of the members, not I don't know them personally, but I know their backgrounds. And uh, <laughs> for them to be on that committee and, and, and be in enforcement, please. I mean, you should do something else for a living. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, well, one last thing. Bob had a question. He actually sent this in before I went to. Uh, Cabo, and he it was nice enough to resend it in since we took the week off last week. He wanted to know if you could uh, about football one hundred and one that we were talking about before. If you could clarify the offensive re- rules regarding the minimum number of men on the line of scrimmage and which which offensive players are eligible on any given play uh, based on the formation. In addition, tell us why wideouts often look and point to the the linesmen, the referees, to find out if they're in a correct spot. Right. The reason they do that, they want to make a point that they're off the line or on the on the line of scrimmage, so that they are that the official understands that the other guys are eligible. Because if you're on the line of scrimmage and you're the end man on the line of scrimmage, then anybody that's on the line of scrimmage inside of you is is ineligible. If you're off the line of scrimmage and the guy inside of you, the first guy, is the end man line of the scrimmage, and he'll be eligible, but you're eligible, but you're off the line of scrimmage. But you don't do that towards the tight end side, because if you do that towards the tight end side, then the tight end isn't eligible. So you've got to look around. Remember, you've got four backs that are eligible. You've got four people that can be uh, eligible. You've got, you've got the way the rule was, the quarterback. You've got a fullback and two running backs, two receivers, and a tight end. Well, you could, right now most offenses are running one remaining back, okay? So the rest of those people have got to put themselves in a position where they line up where they're all eligible on the line of scrimmage or off of the line of scrimmage. So sometimes a back or end will move up and be like a X back or behind the tackle off the line of scrimmage. So he's eligible. And then the end guy, there could still be a slot guy that way. And the, and the end guy on the line of scrimmage is eligible, or if the slot guy's on the line of scrimmage, then the end guy can be off the line of scrimmage. But you've got to make sure, and the reason why these uh, receivers point is to make sure that the officials understand who's eligible. And remember, it would be very difficult for a defensive back to recognize who's eligible and who's not eligible uh, by if they didn't understand and go by this rule. Because if you cover up someone, you're the end guy on the line of scrimmage and you're on the line of scrimmage, anybody inside of you that's on the line of scrimmage is ineligible. So you've got to really understand the rule, and, uh, and it's an easy rule to follow. It really is. Most people understand that by just watching, the, watching and looking at the field, that, that you can only have the, the farthest guy out if he's on the line of scrimmage. Anybody inside of him on the line of scrimmage is ineligible and you have to be off of the line of scrimmage. And if you're a slot back and you're on the tackle side or open side and you're on the line of scrimmage and the re- receiver outside of you, then it's got to be off 
to the line of scrimmage. So I think that's the best way of explaining it. And uh, so you got to make sure you don't cover up anybody inside of you that's on the line of scrimmage if you're the furthest guy out. All right, Coach. Well, hey, great stuff. We appreciate you uh, coming back on, and thanks for the congratulations on the wedding and everything. And uh, we look forward to talking to you down the road, future podcasts next week and stuff, talking more about USC football letting, leading up until the much-anticipated 2011 football season. Brian, thank you very much, and thank you for all sending your questions and so on. And we'll be into it soon. It'll be a lot of fun. The Golden Gophers from Minnesota, September the 3rd in the Coliseum. USC fans can't wait. Either can we. Coach, thanks again. Thanks to Southern California Tickets. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking more USC football with Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have Dan Weber, USCFootball.com beat writer extraordinaire, joining us in this segment. Dan, how are you, man? Everything good? Doing good, yeah. I spent the weekend uh, uh, reading football magazines. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, you get a, uh, you realize that uh, you haven't, haven't caught up on them and got them all on the newsstand this weekend. And, uh, and I realized I think it's like uh, we're back in uh, 2001 or so. You know, USC's kind of has kind of fallen off the, the radar, although Matt Barkley's obviously on the cover of all three of the ones I got in Southern California editions of, uh, what, Athlon, Lindy's, and probably say Sporting News, I guess. He's on the cover of all of them, but, uh, but still, uh, it's, it's kind of like the 2001 season where, where if, they, if they're going to take a look at the West Coast, uh, probably not USC, they're looking at, you know, Oregon, Stanford, and that's about as much uh, uh, as they can look at uh, when you when they're looking at all American teams. I mean, one of, for example, I think Lindy's listed. They list the top position players all, all you know all across the country. Top twenty wide receivers, no Robert Woods. Huh. Whoa. I mean, I know Lindy's is published in Birmingham, but <laughs> and that reminds me. I, I try to remember. I think the first year I covered USC football, Carson Palmer's senior year. I remember he was ranked going into that season the number 20 quarterback in the in the country. So uh, his Heisman Trophy season in preseason he was uh, ranked number 20. <laughs> so uh, so maybe there will be some uh, kind of a replay of, of that. But I'm trying to also do a, do a piece on on how uh, where USC is in the eyes of uh, of the uh, of all the uh, uh, college football magazines now. Um, all right. Well, you, you were talking about reading. I just wanted to make a quick update before we get into all the other stuff. I did read that book, uh, Unbroken, um, about Louis Zamperini, the, the USC track star that went to the Olympics and survived years of horrible ordeal over the Pacific in World War II. I, I'm, I, I love reading World War II history, so it was like a perfect mix of USC mm. stuff and survival stuff and 
World War II stuff. Amazing book. So anyone that goes out there, I mean, definitely head to your bookstore and pick it up or download it to your iPad or wherever you, your Kindle or whatever. It's it's a great read. It definitely something that a lot of USC I mean, fans should check out. I mean, it, 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 it's one of those ones where you're sitting there and you got it brings like tears to your eyes. I mean, there are things that happen that you just you so identify, you know, with him, uh, you know, going through that. You know, things that, you know, we can't even imagine. And, uh, I mean, honestly, you just, uh, it's really an emotional, uh, you know, an engaging uh, read to think about, uh, you know. And the thing, you know, you don't realize, and my dad was, was in the Pacific as a, uh, he was older. He was a, a flight surgeon for the, uh, uh, a naval flight surgeon who was assigned to the Marines. And I think the thing that he always that he brought back, and he didn't ever talk about it much, but how young all the guys were. They were young guys, like like a Louis Samparini. You know, they were just you know, and he was an older older than a lot of them, but still they were you know young college guys and you know young kids out of high school, and that's just uh, you know so amazing uh, the things those guys went through. It's absolutely crazy, but definitely I recommend all the USC fans go out and check it out. And it was a great read for me in Cabo, Dan. I appreciate you uh, pointing that. I know I wanted to check it out. I forgot the name, so we got to talk about it on the show last I'm time. I'm so glad and, uh, you did. Yeah, it's just a book everybody that, that cares about, you know, the U.S. or USC or, or just a great, great read. Uh, it's it's worth reading. Oh, man. For sure, for sure. Uh, and then so we came back and I got to check out I came back on Wednesday. We got to see one of the workouts on Thursday, and then some of the big news that you had talked to Patrick Hall heading into that workout, and he confirmed to you that it looked like he was going to have knee surgery on his other knee. Maybe kind of give everyone an update on that, what's going on with Patrick Hall. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a kid, uh, you know, come as far as he has from where he was in the in the fall to, uh, you know, to where he is is right now. I mean, uh, the tough, you know, the tough break. I mean, he, he's really, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, physically he'd come around. He uh, didn't, ha- you know, he'd had that, you know, knee surgery in high school and, you know, m- almost two years and not really being able to, you know, show that five-star athletic ability. And he's really been, you know, working hard and getting better and, and, and moving from safety to cornerback uh, uh, and, and, got some unbelievably uh you know great athleticism and physical skills and speed and um uh you know makes an interception the last play of Thursday a week ago uh comes you know roaring up the sidelines and just you know runs into somebody uh goes down and uh you know it looked, we were hoping that when he had the collision that his uh his foot wasn't planted so i mean he was, he, he immediately was in the air and then he went down like you know uh, you knew he was hurt, and you knew it hurt, but you were hoping maybe is it a cracked kneecap or, or whatever. And so the other day when before practice, I'm seeing walking around the corner, and I'm thinking, wow, he's no crutch. You know, no crutch. We had heard he no crutches, and, and he's moving really well with the other guys, barely limping, not obviously swollen, you know, with a wrap or anything on it. And I'm thinking, so I'm trying to hustle up and catch up with him, and finally catch him with Heritage Hall and. He said, no, nah, got it. I've got to get the surgery. I'm going to be out a year. And he said, I was able to walk on, on my other knee injury, even though it was really serious. But he said, for some reason, he's able to walk on it. And uh, they just have to wait till all the swelling goes down and he gets, you know, full range of motion 
before they want to go in and operate. But uh, but I guess now he will be a candidate for uh, you know a sixth year. Uh, it looks like uh, uh, you know he's got to apply for that, and, and it could be a blessing in disguise. And I know he's treating it that way. And uh, he was out there, you know, practice uh, uh, working with the uh, uh, working with Ryan Henderson, for example, uh, and. Uh, uh, he might not have, since he was still working into the cornerback, maybe he wouldn't have gotten that much action this year. Uh, so in the long run, this may be, you know, a blessing in disguise. And if he can come back and, you know, I guess we're talking about, um, say, uh, uh, something like uh, Pinkard, uh, you know, in terms of his ability to handle two knee injuries and still come back and play. Uh and uh, and maybe this will give him a chance for the other one to he- heal up even better. And if this one heals up and, you know, he comes back and uh, having, you know, really gotten himself academically squared away and having, you know, work with the younger kids uh, is uh, kind of the way Christian Tupo did this year where you're kind of a, you know, a little bit of a grad assistant kind of a thing. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, maybe this in the long run, you know, can work to his benefit. And I think he's thinking of it that way. And um, when you think where he was in the fall and, you know, on suspension and having academic issues and rehab issues and all the kinds of things, and and what you've noticed with him is he's, you know, he's happy, his smile is back on his face. He just seems, even in the face of this kind of, you know, an injury, he uh, he really seemed to be handling it well. So, I mean, it, you know, you can say, gosh, how terrible and, and all of that, but Personally, he just seems to be uh, have, have have gone to a really good place, and I think this has been a good year for him. And everybody, I think the coaches and, and everybody that's worked with him seems to have done a really good job, and he seems to have done a really good job. So, you know, I'm 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 pretty upbeat about him personally, uh, and just hope it you know works out that is, you know, he can uh, you know work his way through. The, you know the second knee injury, and uh, let's just see. It's that's not easy to have both of your both of your knees uh, having had uh, uh, you know ligament surgery, but uh, but he's athletic enough to you know maybe uh, maybe he's you know one of the guys that can overcome it. Yeah, and he didn't look too bad walking around, like you said. So we'll we'll see. Hopefully, you know, we'll wish the best for Patrick Hall. And I guess sticking with the secondary, we did see Ryan Henderson out there. There have been a few of the incoming freshmen that are already enrolled. I think six of them total have been out there. Um, but Matt Thompson had a question about Isaiah Wiley. He hasn't been out there yet, so he asked if if he's been out there. The answer is no. And, um, can you get an update on him? And 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 he wants to know: Do you guys project him as a safety or a corner next year? Well, you know, I think uh, from what we understand, uh, he uh, he won't be here until he uh, completes. Uh, I think it's actually maybe two courses. Uh, and so that may put him um, in the last group arriving. I mean, I guess they're coming, they're basically coming in three groups. The one, the first six for the intercession and the first, the next group, uh, maybe a little more than half who are going to be here for the first summer session. And then the, the final group that's coming in for the second summer session, the shorter one. Uh, my understanding is that he was scheduled for the second summer session. And then, um, uh, and we'll see. I mean, I think what what's surprising is it's a kind of difference way you look at the secondary now. I mean, I think when, you know, he was signed and all that, you know, it was like an emergency, uh, 
you know, uh, and, and the hope was that he could come in, you know, as an early entry and, uh, and fill in right away. But, uh, the numbers and the athletes, um, are, are so, um, uh, it's so different from last year. When you look at the nine or 10 guys, I'm thinking right now off the top of my head, who look like they could play, uh, you know, for USC right now, I don't think they're looking at that position kind of in the same way as, uh, as they were, you know, in uh, January, for example. So, uh, and I know he hasn't been available to uh, kind of talk about his situation. So uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think we really don't know. I think it's going to be up to him if he, uh, if he gets here and, and they're going to, you know, see uh, he's a, you know, he's kind of a lanky, lanky guy that looked like, you know, one of those kids that, you know, with you know, long arms and, and a long body that could probably, uh, you know, play either position. Uh, I mean, I think it'll depend on, uh, you know, how does, uh, uh, how do the, you know, the guys all, you know, that, that are there this summer, how does the Ryan Henderson uh, adapt as a true freshman? Uh, how does, uh, how's Anthony Brown, uh, you know, handle, uh, his opportunity, uh, who's, you know, right behind, uh, right behind the guys that, you know, uh, you know, Nikel Roby, for example, and Anthony, uh, uh, Burnett, you know, they look awfully good. They look like they've been there forever and they're really athletic, uh, corner. Uh, you like, uh, Marshall Jones, this looks like he's taking his opportunity to get, get in there next to, uh, 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 TJ McDonald at safety. And yet you've got, uh, Guys like Drew McAllister looks like he's healthy now, and he's you know a big, strong, smart kid that, that you know always seemed to know where the ball was going. Uh, you just got Demetrius Wright looks like you know looks like a linebacker now uh, in a in a safety's body. I mean, he's just really an impressive looking athlete. There are a lot of guys now when you start naming names, uh, and we haven't named you know T.J. Bryant and you know and Torn Harris who both started. So. Uh, there are a lot of uh, a lot of potential uh, in that secondary. So I think the whole Isaiah Wiley situation is it just could not have changed more the picture there uh, from January till now. It's it's just kind of hard to believe how different the secondary looks uh, uh, in you know what six months. Just kind of an amazing it is amazing yeah. change. Yeah, a lot of a lot of talent, a lot of unproven talent. I think that's probably going to be a theme for USC this year. A lot of talent around. We'll have to see where they, who ends up stepping up and playing because a lot of these young guys are going to have to play. Um, we have an NCAA question for you, Dan. Uh, I will say this. Oh, this is a, this was a good comment. I thought Lawrence Jackson. We were kidding because we we told him the other day he was at practice and said his, you know he made our top twelve uh, nickname list, uh, Low Jack and. Uh, and I said, you know, what do you think? You know, and you know, I mean, here's a guy, you know, starting in the NFL and been around a lot of good teams. And he had two comments about, you know, USC is they're really young. And I said, some of that is you guys are getting old now. You know that. I mean, that's why they look young. You're old. You're not. You know, you're not the. You know, you're not the young guy at USC anymore. I said, but there. I said. We told uh, Lawrence that that was probably good news for you know a guy in the NFL right now to be telling uh, people at USC that, uh, that this group of athletes uh, passes the eye test. And, and he said, especially with regard, he said, if you're going to play in the Pac-10 and Pac-12 now, you better be able to run because you got to play Oregon. 
and you got he said it looks like these guys can run with Oregon. He said you need athletes that can run, and that's the one thing you can you can tell. You know, summer workouts aren't going to show you everything, but they will show you. Do you have a lot of guys that can run? And uh, I think Lawrence was uh, was was you know very impressed with uh, the athleticism of these guys. Uh, so that's a a good little you know. Here's a guy that knows better than we do. He's <laughs> out there on the field with them, and uh, he liked he liked the athleticism that he was seeing. Okay. Uh, well, let's, we have a question about the NC2A from our friend Guy. Uh, here it is. Um, hello, and congratulations, Ryan, on becoming a married man. And uh, this is Guy, Lake Balboa. And uh, hello, everyone else. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk about something a little more depressing than the marriage. I want to talk about the NCAA and uh, the fact that uh, Lane Kiffin uh, was called before them this past weekend. And now they're going to, you know, have to think about it, of course, as usual. And we know what happens when they think about things. Something bad happens. I anticipate uh, a typical uh, uh, sandbagging by the NCAA or the COI or whatever uh, right before uh, the season, maybe at the same week of the uh, prior to the first game, and just saying that uh, Lane Kiffin can't, you know, there's a show cause thing. And um, if that happens, is there a plan B? Is is Dan aware of a plan B? What do we do? Who calls the plays, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, Thanks in advance. I'm just, you know, a little bit bit shell-shocked by the and suspicious of the uh, NCAA by, by now. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, uh... Uh, and that was Guy, I think. Is that right? Yeah, uh, that was Guy. If I heard that correctly, Guy, uh, I think you were either reading my mind or listening into our previous conversation with Ryan because that really is the issue. Uh, I, I, I think uh, uh, in the next uh, couple of months, during you know, from, from now until the middle of the summer, before anything happens, uh, I don't think USC cannot wait for a plan B. This is kind of what we're going to write about for tomorrow. Uh, USC can't wait for a plan B and have to, uh, 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 you know, do something at the last minute. Uh, uh, I think, for example, you do still have the ability in that scenario to uh, uh, appeal and to stay all the uh, all the sanctions immediately. Uh, I don't think USC wants to get to that position. I think they really need to have a uh, plan B. Has to, I think almost become plan A. And uh, I think USC has to start calling some of the shots in terms of, of their dealings with the NCAA. I don't think they need any more evidence, uh, no matter what we're being told publicly. I can't imagine USC needs any more evidence as to, uh, uh, and we'll just say it right out loud, the duplicity of the NCAA here. Uh, I think it's obvious they, uh, they don't follow their own rules. They, choose, they pick and choose who they want to go after or who they want to take it easy on. I don't think there's any question that uh, you know that there are uh, uh, organizations and uh, people that they represent well at the NCA, and there are people you know that they like to kick around. And I think USC is a, a really good example of somebody that they think they've got a free shot at. And 
and, and they've allowed Lane Kiffin, uh, you know, uh, the other, the hated guy, the guy that turned his back on the SEC and said, no, you're not the greatest conference in the world. This isn't the greatest football I've ever seen. And, uh, and they've never forgiven him for that. And uh, uh, the fact that uh, the way the hearing was held, uh, the way the setup for the hearing has been, the way uh, University of Tennessee has tried to uh, handle this, the way there's just so many things involved in this that give you almost a worse feeling about how this has been set up than even the Todd McNair or uh, Lloyd Lake situation. And I'm not sure USC can allow themselves uh, to be put into that situation. So uh, we're going to have some uh, some suggestions going forward about what USC has, has to do. It would seem that they may not have any choice uh, over this summer. Uh, no matter what they want to do, they may have to uh, take a more uh, – uh, proactive, uh, positive, uh, and uh, public stance on this and not just say, gosh, maybe if we go, you know, and act real nice and go stand in the corner, uh, they'll leave us alone. I don't think they're going to leave USC alone. And as long as they think there are no consequences. I mean, I think the NCAA, if you look back at what they do, if they think there are really going to be negative consequences to the NCA, the Committee on Infractions, the people involved, they tend to stay away from those kinds of things. If they really think what I do here might hurt me, uh, and I think that's where USC probably has been put into a position like that. All I would say is this: unless USC has some sort of absolute, and I would say written, ironclad guarantee that. That the that the Lane Kiffin case will be treated completely fairly with the determination made that yes he was probably in the middle of the pack in the SEC in his first year for secondary violations and he will get treated the way the other six coaches above him got treated which is nothing if they if they don't hear that kind of a guarantee. If he's being singled out because Tennessee thought it would help their case to save Bruce Pearl or to save the AD, neither of which they could do, uh, if USC doesn't have some sort of guarantee about that, USC has to do something itself to guarantee that the NCAA will not have a club to beat them over the head with the Friday before the Minnesota kickoff. USC, I think, is almost going to be required to uh, – to figure out a different way to do this, and, and we'll talk about that uh, in, in tomorrow's column. But uh, you're you're thinking the right thoughts. Yeah, you cannot no. let yeah you can't let the NCA have the club, and then you're scrambling the day before the game to appeal or to do this or that. And I I don't think there's any question. They've uh, uh, suspended two high-profile basketball coaches, Tom Izzo of Michigan State, for just a game and uh, for what seems like an unbelievably minor uh, issue uh, with very little culpability on his part. And then uh, three games to Jim Calhoun. Uh, I may have a different opinion about where that should have gone. But anyway, I, I think now with Jim Trestle not there, they don't have a high-profile football coach to kick around. Or do they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, to make their case. Right. Uh, and so I, I don't like the way where the NCAA is going in a lot of things right now. And, and it looks like I think the committee on infractions thinks it's riding high. And, uh, you know, even though they're under 
you know, under fire, uh, you know, every, all the attentions on them. And what are they going to do about Ohio State? And what are they going to do? And I, I think they feel like, boy, we're we're the little kingmakers here. We can do whatever we want. Uh, and uh, I think USC is probably at a point where they can't afford that anymore. I agree. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll talk about it uh, tomorrow. Okay. okay. And then there's a follow-up. Uh, Michael in Canada there's been a lot of, obviously, negative sentiment toward Pat Hayden and the way that USC kind of took the sanctions and didn't really fight back much. And Michael had a little different spin on that. He wanted to know, like, he feels that there's a lot of negative information or, or erroneous information out there in the media. And why hasn't USC come out and made public statements like, look, USC didn't cheat. This happened. This happened. Why hasn't USC come out and tried to, to bring their case to the media a little bit more? And do you think that's something that it might happen uh, in the future? Well, I think that that would be a part of what USC has to do. I think uh, the uh, making the case, and I really mean making the case, there are a lot of ways you can make your case. And I think it all has to be coordinated. And uh, I, I think the plan, you know, that clearly was in place was um, maybe this will go away. Maybe they'll understand we're really good guys. Maybe they'll understand that our one guy – who on his own, away from campus, was, you know, and his family were willing to take whatever they took in order and would leave the program was not probably the same thing as more than 100 athletes taking more than $630,000 funneled to them from government programs and university programs with the cooperation of university personnel under the guidance of the athletic director who was chairman of the committee on attractions that came down so hard on USC and gave USC worse penalties for the one ineligible player than Miami got for the, you know, God knows how many ineligible players and, and a year more of a bowl ban and uh, no for agency and all of that kind of thing. I think USC, you know, trusted the NCA to be uh, uh, ethical and fair and reasonable, and USC actually really cleaned up, you know, whether you can say they didn't have enough people in the compliance department, for example, was one of the stories. Well, let's see. Ohio State had the biggest compliance department in the country for the last nine years. How's that working out? Uh, USC, after a four-year investigation with its too small compliance department, had one ineligible football player, and not for any recruiting violation, not for any play-to-pay, or pay to play, uh, he was being paid to leave, uh, not for any academic violations, not for anything like that. Uh, so USC's small compliance department doesn't seem to have done a very, very bad job. Uh, done a heck of a lot better job than, say, Ohio State, which was cited as the, you know, the example. So I think USC just thought, if we show them that we're going to do everything we can and we're going to gear up and we're going to work hard and we're going to, do things over and above. Uh, we're going to ban people from, you know, being around the program, and we're going to do, you know, and we're going to make it really hard on all, you know, all these people that had nothing to do with ever committing any violations or anything else, and we're going to really come down hard on them. That'll that'll show the NCAA that we're really good guys, and they'll probably we already ex- accepted more penalties than we ever should have accepted in the 15 scholarships and the one-year bowl ban and all that. Um, so they'll see we're really trying, and they'll they'll come, you know, they'll give us some of that back. And what did they do? They got kicked in the teeth. And as poor Pat said, "Yeah, I thought they could have met us somewhere." You know, I said, I told him, I said, "You put yourself on the line." They have to know 
how much criticism you're getting. Uh, and you really went out of your way to say, we're back in the NCA, we're going with them, we're not going to say anything negative. And they didn't give you a thing, did they? They didn't give you one thing back. They didn't come a little bit, did they? And Pat said, no, they didn't. <laughs> and now, you know, do you just keep trusting people who keep kicking you in the teeth? I don't, I don't think so. But USC wants it to go away. My question is, what's the best way to make it go away? One would think that enough people are starting, if you read the national media, even in Yahoo, you, you see beer arrival, you know, you see people writing and getting it right. You see people understanding it. You see national, uh, you know, talk radio and guys starting to get it right. You see people at ESPN starting to get it right. And this is with just no pushback from USC. I mean, maybe pushback from uscfootball.com. But, uh, you know, and Jay Billis, I think, always picked it up. And then I think Ted Miller has always been on top of it from our standpoint. And I think he's always paid attention to a lot of the stuff we've done and, and, and given it a completely fair reading. But what would happen if USC decided to just say uh, and make its case in every way that USC can make its case? And you can read into that whatever you want. But uh, if USC spent the summer making its case, I would like to see that how that would result. Because the summer is an interesting this – this summer is interesting because uh, with the start of college football, let's say in August in practice, and there's the Ohio State case before the NCAA, seemingly a hurried case with all that there is to investigate in Ohio, at Ohio State. The NCAA seems to almost be on a rush to judgment, which some people would interpret as they don't want to find out everything that's happened in Columbus. They, they'd probably like to run the case through – before they have, you know, everything gets revealed, that none of which, of course, the CIA's probably uh, come up with. But that's August 12th. And I think between now and August 12th, USC has a chance to make its case so that people understand what the basic issues are and what USC was penalized for and compare that to what's happened in other places where coaches have been directly involved, coaches have directly lied to the NCAA, there's no need to – I mean, the proof is overwhelming. Uh, the uh, number of players who were paid to uh, be involved with the program while they were at the program, before they got to the program, were paid to stay there. Uh, all of the kinds of things that never happened at USC, uh, it would seem to be, be the perfect opportunity for USC to say, look, we haven't done this, we haven't come out publicly, we haven't – you know, we've tried to be good members. But now we think for our good name, the good name of all the kids and players and everybody that went before us, for the fact that, you know, USC's football program now, the first national championship taken away from a team since the 1919 Black Sox. Think about that. In effect, the NCAA has labeled the, the USC, the 2004 team, as the dirtiest, foot, or dirtiest team in the history of team sports, and what is that, uh, 85 years? Come on, that's ridiculous. Or that Reggie Bush is the only player that has to give back to his Heisman? I mean, does anybody read any of the books of some of those guys that won the Heisman? Who <laughs> talked about what, what, they, what their you know, college careers were like? I mean, come on, that that's happened only to USC? 
And USC just sat there and said nothing except, you know, uh, we're sorry. We'll send it back. You know, Bubba, I mean, I was standing in, in Varsity Lounge the other day uh, doing couple interviews. And you're st- and you're if you're there on the on a movable one of those movable dollies is the is the tro- is the empty trophy case where the DCS trophy was, and it's just pushed into the room and off to the side, and you're just thinking, it's just it's sad. I mean, it's truly truly sad. I mean, you know, I mean, when you know that the trophy case at Ohio State is still there with the BCS trophy, the trophy case at Auburn is there as well as the statue of Cam Newton. Uh, and you think, and USC's got an empty trophy case? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so. All right, okay. Dan. Well, we're looking forward to your column. It's going <laughs> to be good. End of rant. End that's of rant. That's okay. All right. We'll look forward to your column, and thanks for coming on the podcast again. And thanks to everyone else out there for tuning in. We're sorry we took off last week. I'm married now. We shouldn't take any more for another three years or so. But, <laughs> yeah. But thanks again for tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 